This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. The maternal mortality crisis in the black community has killed thousands of African-American women. Now the documentary Aftershock is telling the stories of their deaths and the families they leave behind. I think that we need to have a shift in culture of our language and then as birthing people and families really go out there and try to find the support that works for us. Because when a woman has the right support around her and she feels safe and dignified, she will have a better birthing outcome. More on the black maternal mortality crisis coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. The U.S. healthcare system is failing to make childbirth a safe experience for many mothers. Among 10 of the richest nations on earth, the U.S. has by far the highest death rate during and shortly after childbirth. And black women are three times more likely to die than white women. The maternal mortality crisis is the centerpiece of the new documentary, Aftershock. It tells the stories of women who died, their survivors, and how some of their families have harnessed their grief into activism. People like Shawnee Benton Gibson. This crazy behind system is killing us. And we called it aftershock because Shamani's death was like a tsunami. When black mothers die, there's a ripple effect. And yes, the death is the earthquake, but the shit afterwards is overwhelming. The nights where I get up and it's like, oh my God, I miss my daughter. I miss her calling me. Now I wish she would call me 30 times a day. After today, take an action. Shimani lives through me being an activist and a revolutionary, and the revolution will be tweeted, Instagrammed, Facebooked. It will be recorded. Aftershock won the Special Jury Impact for Change Award at Sundance and is streaming now on Hulu. Filmmaker Tanya Lewis-Lee co-directed and co-produced Aftershock, and she joins us now. Welcome to A Word. Thanks, Jason. Happy to be here. I have to say this up front. I had to break this down to three viewings. It was that hard for me to get through. I just want to know what drew you to the issue of maternal mortality. What brought you to this documentary? Well, it actually started originally, I think, because I wrote a book called Please Baby Please, a children's picture book uh, many years ago. And the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services reached out to me after that book came out to be a spokesperson for an infant mortality awareness raising campaign. And when you talk about infant mortality in the U.S., the numbers are very similar. Black babies die at three to four times the rate of white babies before their first birthday here. And because I was able to travel the country, I discovered that, first of all, when you talk about an infant's health, you're talking about a woman's health, and found myself immersed in a world of women's health and learned a lot and spoke to lots of women 
I mean, rural, urban, north, south, east, west, all over the country. And inevitably, I would hear stories about women who had passed away from childbirth complications. So back in 2009, I did a small film on the infant mortality uh, crisis and had been thinking about how to tell the story about the U.S. maternal mortality crisis. It's such a huge issue. How do you tell the story of, of a systemic issue, but in an intimate way to really change hearts and minds. And I had been looking for a partner, but I met my co-director, Paula Izelt, and you know she too had a shared passion for telling the story about maternal health. We came together and began talking. And in December of 2019, Shawnee Benton Gibson, mother of Shimani Gibson, who had passed away in October of 2019. So in December 2019, Shawnee and Shimani's partner, Amari, uh, put on a celebration of Shimani's life called Aftershock in Brooklyn and uh, put an invitation out on social media, inviting people to come and celebrate Shimani's life, but also be in conversation about what was happening in our community. We saw that invitation, we reached out to Shawnee, and she allowed us to come and film. And that's what really started this film. You know, in many cases, the tragedies, and it is a tragedy that you see in Aftershock, there aren't sudden deaths, right? These women and their partners have been describing problems for weeks. They have been saying, there's the scene with the, the brother later on where he's like, my wife, you know, my partner can barely walk. I really don't think we should be leaving the hospital yet. Describe some of the stories that maybe didn't end up in the documentary, but just stories you've heard or stories that may have ended up on the cutting room floor about this issue that really stuck with you. Well, yeah, I think you raise a really good point here. When people think of maternal mortality and women dying from quote-unquote childbirth, they think of it as a sudden death on the table or something like that. Unfortunately, many of these deaths happen postpartum. And I'll just use from the film, though, uh, Amber Rose Isaac, who had help syndrome. And your point is so well taken because these women were going looking for help. It's not like they were suffering somewhere, didn't know what was going on, but they reached out for help. Amber was not feeling well. She was tired. She was sort of towards the end of her pregnancy, but feeling really tired, like she really needed rest and was expressing symptoms of help syndrome. But her doctor was missing it in the records. If the doctor had looked at her records, which we saw, you see that her platelet levels are dropping. That is a condition that women get sometimes from pregnancy, but can be treated. And if it's treated, most women don't die from HELP syndrome. That case to me is, is particularly just so tragic and devastating because it, it didn't have to be. Uh, and I think, you know, in many of those stories that we hear, um, we hear of women who have had, the, the babies are born, they're in the hospital, they're complaining of not really feeling right, not really feeling 100%. And uh, the people who they are seeking help from dismiss them and say, oh, you just had a baby. You're tired. You're not supposed to feel, you know, great. Just rest. We'll get to you. And ultimately, it's too late. And it happens time and time and time again. The thing that really struck me about Aftershock is that it focuses on the men who are left behind. And we're going to play a clip right now where we're going to hear from a support group of black men talking about having lost their wives or partners in childbirth. 
thank you for all the brothers who came and I'm definitely grateful uh, for what we're able to do creating this circle, you know, with Amaris to support brothers like Omari and Mustafa who are in the particular place where they sit. Uh, my name is Mustafa Shabazz. Uh, me and Omari, we are basically going through the same pain right now. My lady died, like you said, you felt uh, helpless. I felt the same way. Mm -hmm. I watched her take a last breath mm -hmm. in front of my eyeballs. Nothing that I can do. Nothing. I had, I had to go and get a DNA test just to take my son out the hospital. They didn't believe that he was my son. I said, why would I be here? Why would I, why would I even be here if this, this is not my child? I just, honestly, I just don't think they care. Why did it strike you as important to make men the focus of this story, even if the men's lives are centering the women who are gone? Yeah, well, I think it is clear that when we talk about maternal health, maternal health doesn't just affect women. It affects their partners. It affects their children. It affects their parents. It affects their community. And these men are left behind to raise the children. They were sitting there um, right next to these women as they're passing away. They are experiencing the trauma of having to go through losing someone that they love and feeling disempowered because the system doesn't allow them in. And so, you know, Amari and Bruce, the two men that we follow closely in the film, are beautiful, amazing men. And what's really striking to me is that they reach out to each other to offer support. And it's amazing. They were recently at the White House for a convening to have a conversation about paternal mental health. You know, I think that it's really important that men are considered uh, in this process as well uh, and, and not forgotten, um, you know, when we talk about maternal health as well. And, I, and the other thing I'll just say too with Amari and Bruce is that like you do see Shimani and Amber come through them. You see the love that they had for them and the love they have for community because they really are trying to make uh, the situation better for other people so they don't have to endure what they did. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more on Aftershock, a documentary about the black maternal mortality crisis. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Jason Johnson, host of A Word, Slate's podcast about race and politics and everything else. I want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners. If you've discovered A Word and like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think by writing us at a word at slate.com. Thank you. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking with Tanya Lewis-Lee. She's one of the filmmakers behind the award-winning documentary Aftershock, which focuses on the black maternal mortality crisis. Let's talk a little bit about just sort of the healthcare system and how it contributes to this crisis. In the film, Helena Grant, who's the director of midwifery at Brooklyn's Woodhull Medical Center, offers a history lesson 
about the racist roots of childbirth practices and the OBGYN care in the United States. Let's play a clip. Black women have been experimented on to perfect the profession of gynecology. The United States had a population of enslaved peoples that they could do what they wanted to, when they wanted to, how they wanted to do it. As a woman, your worth is about what your womb can produce for my plantation. Black women are having so many children, they're getting fistulas. Enter J. Marion Sims. He's considered the father of gynecology, who decides that he's gonna figure out how to fix this. He's fixing it so she can go back and have more children, so that she, as a commodity, continues to be useful for her slave master. And he cut them open however many times. And then there were modules written about the things that were done to them, saying, well, they don't feel pain. But the woman is literally screaming. What are some of the systematic racist things that are still occurring specifically within our healthcare system and OBGYNs, and how are those affecting Black women? Well, one of the things is that, unfortunately, the most vulnerable population, Black women, poor women, tend to be treated by the least experienced healthcare providers. Uh, That's the way our system is set up. You know, people have to learn somehow. Historically, as Helena talks about in the film, uh, you know, in, it, there was a population of enslaved people initially that were experimented on for medical practice reasons. And then when we go into the system, because we don't have the resources, we continue to be those that are practiced on. And the system is set up that way. And so you see that those that need the most care don't get the most care. I also think it's really important in this conversation about maternal mortality to talk about midwifery. Uh, as, As you said, Helena is a midwife, but midwives have been eradicated from women's health care in the United States. Every other nation, industrialized nation in the world, has midwifery care integrated into women's health care, and they have better outcomes. Uh, And that is based on a racist premise where the modern medicine wanted to, first of all, take the economy of birthing from black women and put it into the hands of white doctors, put us all into hospitals, and we we lost something there. And so I liken it to farm to table. I think we need to go back a little bit. There's an over-medicalized way of looking at birth, right? Women are not sick when we are pregnant. We are typically very healthy. And so birthing should not be treated as a pathology. Uh, And we sometimes do too much. Uh, We intervene too quickly, too soon. Uh, And yet after the baby is born, there is too little, too late kind of care. And that kind of systemic setup uh, is really detrimental to, to us as black women. Part of the racism, the sort of overall systematic racism in America that plays a role that's very clear in Aftershock is insurance issues, financial issues, and access issues. And so what were your experiences with, with doctors and insurers when you were talking to them about this, this problem? 
I'll say that there are some doctors out there really who know there's a problem and know they have um, a role in the situation to make it better. The data doesn't lie. The narrative that this is all the fault of black women doesn't hold anymore. And so they are beginning to understand that they do have a role to play and there is something that they can do. Now, on the other hand, there are some doctors who still believe that, you know, the paternalistic system should be the way it is, that women don't really know any better and they don't really necessarily like the idea of people coming in uh, and having to work with midwives and nurses. But I do think that in general right now and after, you know, with Aftershock being out there, we've heard from a lot of hospitals, insurance companies that want to use the film as a tool for a conversation to think about how they can improve their outcomes. So I'm optimistic there are individuals out there that will continue to be resistant. But I do think that there is an overall understanding that they need to do something. It's fitting that we're doing this since just a couple of weeks ago uh, that Serena Williams announced that she is retiring from tennis, right? And retiring is one of the greatest athletes in the world. And her name comes up in this documentary because you have one of the women mentioned. She's like, look, Serena Williams is the greatest athlete of all time. She's filthy rich. She has a supportive husband who's also filthy rich. And she almost died during childbirth. What are some strategies that people can engage in to help them through this process if they aren't rich and they aren't famous? They aren't necessarily even in a metropolitan area that allows them access to maybe more creative or innovative or intimate ways of giving birth. I think that's the point. And Felicia in the film who mentioned Serena, that's who you're talking about, actually was like, I'm not sure I want to give birth in a hospital with a doctor. I need to see what other options there are out here for me. And so she went looking. She was lucky that she was able to find an amazing birthing center. The people that she wanted to have around her support her. She had a doula as well and was able to have the kind of birth she wanted to have. And I say that because I do think that as women, we need to remember that no doctor actually is delivering any baby. They're assisting a woman who's birthing, right? So I think that we need to have a shift in culture of our language. And then as birthing people and families, really go out there and try to find the support that works for us. Because when a woman has the right support around her and she feels safe and dignified, she will have a better birthing outcome. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more about the documentary Aftershock. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. 
Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. You're listening to a word with Jason Johnson. Today we're talking about the documentary Aftershock, which spotlights the black maternal mortality crisis with filmmaker Tanya Lewis Lee. Toward the end of the documentary, we see some of the survivors come to Washington, D.C. in May of 2021 and protest and also testify before Congress. Here's a clip of Charles Johnson, who lost his wife, Kira, in childbirth. Madam Chairwoman, and as we approach Mother's Day, my heart is heavy. As I sit here representing the thousands upon thousands of families that have been impacted, These are my sons, Charles and Langston. My wife, Kira, won't wake up to breakfast in bed this Mother's Day because she gave birth in a country that didn't see her, that didn't value her. We must do better. In the course of his testimony, he's holding up photographs of his wife, another black woman who died in this crisis. What do these families want and how effective have their protests been sort of in this last year and a half where you know we have a a COVID epidemic but also highlighting this epidemic of maternal mortality in the black community first and foremost an acknowledgement of the systemic racism that's baked into our healthcare systems I think that all of these families want to see a more equitable system. They want to see more options. They want to see better outcomes. They, they want to improve maternal health in the United States. And in order to do that, we need laws in place that support maternal health care. They are talking to our politicians. They're talking to individuals who vote to get the politicians in place so that legislation like the Momnibus bills that are currently in Congress, they're a collection of bills, but they do a myriad of things like extending Medicaid for a year postpartum for women, because right now I believe after six weeks they're kicked off of Medicare. We, As, as we say, these deaths happen mostly postpartum, so women need to be covered. Any kind of political or legislative change really happens from the people. It's a people up. And that's why they're protesting. That's why they're showing up out there in the streets, reminding people of the names of the people who've passed away, that they are people, not numbers, and that things need to change. I think they want to see more midwifery care in this country. We want to see more black midwives, more black nurses. So they're all there working hard and trying to improve outcomes for all of us. Bruce McIntyre, partner of Amber Isaac, is suing the hospital system that's responsible for what happened to his partner. How many of the families that you encountered in sort of putting Aftershock together were pursuing legal action? My understanding of the ones that I know that they are sort of still waiting their their days in court, but there are challenges to that. I believe from listening to Shawnee and Amari, for their situation, if they did not file with, I want to say within three months, or, or, or maybe it's even a year, there's a statute of limitations to bring a lawsuit. But I think they are trying to work through that, which is hard. I mean, you've just lost someone, you're going through your grief, and if you don't file, you've lost your opportunity. So things like that need to be adjusted and changed. Uh, but I do think most of them are looking for some accountability, basically. And that's what the lawsuit is. It's about demanding accountability for what happened to their loved one. 
for folks who are listening now, you have to watch Aftershock. It's available on Hulu. It may take a couple sittings. Uh, there will be moments that you cry or that you want to cry. You may have to stop and come back, but it is a worthwhile, really sort of soul-altering documentary to watch. After somebody sees this documentary, what kind of things should people do? What do you want people to do after seeing this? Yes, thank you for that. And and look, I you know, it is hard subject matter, but I do hope people come away from the film feeling inspired, feeling empowered. Uh, when I watch the work of Bruce Sonomari and Shawnee, I'm inspired uh, with the, their ability to turn their grief into truly positive action. Uh, Bruce is working to bring a birthing center to the Bronx. He's worked on legislation. As I mentioned, he was at the White House recently. Omari and Shawnee have the ARIA Foundation. You can find both of them at aftershockdocumentary.com. If you go there, you can find Save a Rose Foundation, ARIA Foundation, learn more about what they are doing and support them directly. I would say also in your own communities, there have been people doing this work for a long time that need a lot of support. Find out what doulas are out there, what kind of support the doulas need. If there are birthing center initiatives out there, midwives uh, tend to be the centers of community. How can you offer support to them? You know, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, abortion care is maternal health care. We need to be voting. So voting and paying attention to who those politicians are and the legislation they're putting forth is really key and important. Filmmaker Tanya Lewis-Lee co-directed and co-produced Aftershock, the critically acclaimed documentary about the maternal mortality crisis among Black women. You can see it now on Hulu. Tanya Lewis-Lee, thanks for joining us on A Word. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. And that's A Word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Christy Taiwo Makanjula. Alicia Montgomery is the Vice President of Audio at Slate. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for Word. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.